Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include risk sentiment in the bond markets, my interview with Simple Nexus, J.R. Neha, Notary Cam's Brian Webster, and Mismo's Jonathan Kearns on the role E-Close plays in creating a future-ready mortgage industry, and just what is moving rates with a light economic calendar and the Fed in its blackout period. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus, an Encino company and award-winning developer of mobile-first technology for the modern mortgage lender. To learn more, visit simplenexus.com. We had a little rally in the bond markets yesterday due to poor risk sentiment after the recent bevy of better-than-expected economic news raised fears that this would cause the Fed to hold rates higher for longer. We also had a hawkish rate hike by the RBA, and a statement that the board expected to hike rates further. But we are in the blackout period before the Fed's meeting next week, which occurs around the same time as the next economic release of note, the Consumer Price Index. And it's pretty quiet news-wise out there this week. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Symbol Nexus's Jay Arnieha, Notary Cam's Ryan Webster, and Mismo's Jonathan Kearns to talk about the role E-Close plays in creating a future-ready mortgage industry. As VP of E-Close Solutions at Simple Nexus, an Encino company, Jay works with products, sales, and operations to help lenders increase productivity and efficiency with hybrid and fully digital closings that phase out paperwork, compress times to close, and improve the borrower, lender, and settlement agent experience. She has more than 25 years of experience building process and technology solutions for primary and secondary market mortgage operations. Brian Webster is the president of NotaryCam, a leading remote online vendor and services provider. Prior to joining NotaryCam, Brian held senior executive positions at two different top five national mortgage lenders, where he led the development and implementation of multi-channel digital mortgage programs. Brian began his eClose journey leading the eClose pilot conducted by the CFPB, where he was the senior program manager for mortgage markets. In his role at the CFPB, Brian was responsible for developing strategies on how to improve primary mortgage market operations and origination for residential mortgages from the viewpoint of consumer protection. Jonathan Kearns is Mismo's Vice President of Technology. Recognized as a thought leader in the mortgage technology space, Jonathan has substantial experience developing technology and product strategy, including over a decade of experience with electronic signatures, e-vaults, and the e-closing process. Previously, Jonathan was Senior Vice President of Technology at DocMagic, where he was responsible for their digital mortgage platforms. So today we're going to talk about the role eClose plays in creating a future-ready mortgage industry. And Jay, I know you're very excited about this topic. Why is the vision of a true digital mortgage process so important to this industry? And why are electronic closings vital to realizing this vision? Rob, from my perspective, whether we realize it, accept it, acknowledge it, we as an industry have been on this path for a digital mortgage for over 25 years. We were all building homegrown solutions in all our shops as we started this. And it really set the path to say, we really need some level of digitization to be able to do a better mortgage. And what we did is we created in silos, we automated so many critical milestones. Then as an industry, we started to really automate things like credit, we're working on appraisal, which allowed for data to move. And it's moving as I speak. Loans are closing electronically, data is moving, there is uh, transfers occurring 
Um, even the FedEx package that we build out to send that note around, there is a level of digitization that FedEx has to use to move our collateral back and forth. Um, but as we've done this, really connecting all dots, and I underline all dots there, for all loan types, all credit areas, everything together has sort of eluded us. And I think that's partly because one of our thoughts has been that once a loan receives a clear to close, your CTC, the closing process has to be a completely different idea going around for that same loan. And we're at that point where we want to automate all these downstream life of loan events for behind the scenes stakeholders, right? Our stakeholders, we've always thought is the front end, but really behind the scenes stakeholder management with electronic closings is what's going to give that end borrower lender title, the true digital mortgage experience, which really translates into speed. Digital mortgage is just going to allow us to do that loan faster. And once we can read the data, learn the data electronically, it's just a faster process than stored paper that you cannot keep track of in this day and age. As we have built so many loans and will continue to do that, uh, we just won't be able to track paper anymore. So that concept from initial hasn't changed, that we want speed, we want to do the loan better. And now we're saying if you add closings to that process, we will be able to do that. So last frontier, if you may. Last frontier. Brian, what are some of the positive impacts you're seeing with eClose technology and the new evolving workforce? Well, we've really seen, you know, since the pandemic and then, you know, all of the workforce and all of these operations, you know, working remotely from home, it highlighted you know, the gaps and the issues with kind of the legacy process and technology that most kind of stakeholders and participants in this industry, you know, are still kind of beholden to. Um, and so being able to move to digital closings, which is kind of that, you know, last frontier, right, of, you know, a truly digital transaction, you need to be able to close that electronically. And if you're able to do that, that loan file and every aspect of that loan file exists, exists electronically and stays digital. There's no more shipping of loan files back and forth. You know, we saw, you know, my previous life saw the need to have um, individuals sitting in a mailroom um, to still collect FedEx packages, you know, even during the pandemic. And um, organizations that were able to, you know, originate and purchase, you know, electronic tech transactions no longer needed that. You don't need to have the staffing. You don't need to have them sitting in a, in a warehouse somewhere, you know, meeting the UPS driver, um, you know, every single morning or rushing to the, uh, to the drop box at 8 PM at night in order to make sure that your, your packages get out to get to your warehouse lender on time. So it, re it really allows, you know, this, this new kind of employee, this new worker um, in all aspects of an operation to truly see the efficiencies and the gains of, of working remotely and not being kind of held down and, and, you know, 
nailed down to their to their seat and needed to be in one particular location to be able to do their job effectively. Jay first, then Brian, can you share some of the key benefits for lenders incorporating digital closings into their mortgage business? I think uh, as lenders strive to uh, see reduced cost and as they strive to give borrowers a reduced cost, e-closing removes up to, and we have seen it, we can validate it up to $400 in savings. And once a lender can realize that ROI, you are able to pass that down to the borrowers. Um, but I think one of the, that's the dollar amount savings, right? We'll carry on with what Brian has mentioned, the security that this offers. You no longer have a paper floating around for somebody's, you know, obligation to pay a debt um, that can be altered with. So electronic closings remove that process. They remove the, um, you know, ability or potential um, to have any sort of fraud for where the borrower is concerned. Overall, if you're, if you're passionate about it, I am. I mean, we reduce paper. We reduce the, you know, cutting of trees. And there's so much savings to be achieved from that um, beyond just what that loan file does. Several years ago, so it may be dated, a major uh, title underwriter did a survey and found out that every single mortgage transaction on average generated 6,000 pieces of paper through the entire life cycle of a single transaction. Um, that was pretty amazing. On the, the, I want to hit on the security and the fraud prevention <clears throat> uh, that Jay had mentioned. Whenever you do, um, whenever you take data, you know, it's always imperative to have security around your data and being able to rely on that data from timeliness, accuracy, um, quality. And once you put that piece of data on a paper, you lose all control over the security and the validity of, of that, that data point, as Jay was mentioning. Um, if you're able to keep that piece of data in the electronic format and never lose control over it, you you know see the security benefits and can really um, increase your reliability on on that piece of data and have higher level of confidence and be able to generate and drive workflow processes and downstream. You know, efficiencies because you have a, a confidence in the accuracy and reliability of that of that data source around the fraud prevent, prevention so you know being able to you know banks organizations title companies everybody have all of these checks and balances in place all of these kind of know your consumer identity verification tools early on into the process and in the typical paper closing, a you know signer shows up at a, at at, the, at Starbucks, sits down with with a notary, and a notary pulls out and they look at you know the the signer's driver's license, for example. Um, that notary isn't trained on um, 
identity forensics and forensic analysis of that driver's license. They don't have the ability to call out to centralized databases or data sources that generated that ID to verify that the information on that license is, is true and accurate. If you know organizations that can move to that fully digital, that RON transaction, where you're implementing additional identity verification uh, methodologies to ensure that the signer that is showing up on camera is truly who they say they are, because you have these additional tools. You can use a credential analysis to scan and capture the, the, um, the identification. You can use tools to scan a passport and use near-field communication to validate the data that was used to generate that passport. You can look at the holograms. You can read the microprint. You can read the barcode on the back of the driver's license again and do a data analysis and comparison to ensure that the person that is showing you this ID is who they say they are. So there's a, so many additional tools that can be implemented and taken advantage of when you're able to get to that fully digital remote closing that you just don't see in other aspects uh, and other methods of, of you know, non-digital transactions. Jonathan, I want to go to you. Can you talk about the goal of MISMO and highlight some of the work being done by the organization as it relates to mortgage software? Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Um, so MISMO's goal is to develop standards through collaboration to improve efficiency, reduce costs, and improve the mortgage experience for all stakeholders in real estate transaction. So that's really the goal of MISMO. And again, the organization itself is a, a an I'll call it an army based of volunteers such as Jay and Brian Webster and hundreds of other companies that come together and collaborate to create standards, best practices, data standards, even legal language sometimes, things that should be standardized throughout the mortgage process that shouldn't be utilized as a competitive advantage. There are dozens of initiatives going on right now inside of MISMO that the community works on, and they're all important. But if you had to boil it down, there's really two key components in that, that all of them focus on, interoperability and trust, right? And, and Jay and Brian talked a lot about things that fall into those two categories. When we talk about interoperability at a high level, you know, the MISMO data model has been around for 20 years now and is utilized in every single mortgage transaction out there. But it's it's like a dictionary right now and everybody uses their their own uh, you creates their own um, interfaces through that aspect of that data model. And so what we need to get to in the next evolution of MISMO is more defined and prescriptive data sets that creates the true interoperability, right? Where what we do as an as an industry at a high level is fairly simple. We want to close loans, we want to sell loans, and we want to service loans. And we can build common data sets around those aspects because trading data shouldn't be a competitive advantage it's what you do with the data that should be a competitive advantage you know things that we're looking at that is creating you know more standards around uh, apis right so uh, today a lot of the mismo standards and data set utilizes xml but most of the time now we're trading data in more modern technologies such as apis so really bringing that down to the microservices level um, 
we create standards around best practices. You know, um, remote online notarization has been a standard, right? What a, what a RON platform should look like and what functionality should it have? What an eVault um, functionality should have and how they should validate, you know, eNotes coming in. And then there's trust, right? So this, this industry spends an enormous amount of money verifying information and data. Moving to a digital mortgage solves a lot of that because today on the majority of the loans, what is the system of record? The system of record is paper. And, but we get, we are buying that paper off of information we get, um, electronically. And so there's a lot of verification that has to happen through that. So if we can, A, trust the data that we get that is on the system of record and move that system of record to more of a, of a digital footprint, then we solve a lot of those problems of the checker, checking the checker, checking the checker. Um, one of the dot, one of the initiatives inside MISMO that really helps that is our version three smart doc verifiable profile. So today, the the verify the version three documents are used a lot. UCD is a version three document, um, but it's not verifiable like an eNote is. An eNote is a category one smart doc in a version 1.02, and we can programmatically verify that that data is right because that is the system of record and it's electronic. But it's it was it it was more cumbersome to work with because it's not a, a typical electronic document that we're used to using, no, most notably a PDF. And so the industry came together and worked really hard on building now a verifiable document that can be done programmatically, but the source file is a PDF. So it really is a game changer in the industry. Now we can have a data set travel with the system of record documents and be able to programmatically verify it on any document that's out there. So, you know, going that way is really going to help the industry. And again, changing that system of record from a, a paper to a digital uh, or electronic footprint. And are there additional efforts underway that are important to electronic closings? Yeah, I think I think there's a few. We talked about the eVault standards, right? That's that's one of the interoperability challenges. So when we talk to lenders, right, on electronic closings, there are two there are two items that really um, are barriers to scalability, not necessarily adoption. I think there's you know the adoption needle is moving. We don't really talk about adoption. It's scalability. How do you get to you know 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of your loans? Um, electronically. And there are many lenders out there doing that today, like full digital um, uh, mortgages in, in the majority of their volume, not just a single program in the majority of their volume. So how do we get there? Um, and a lot of that's around standardizing and maturing those, those, uh, those processes. And what helps in that aspect are those certifications, right? We talk about eVault standards, um, one of that interoperability of, of collecting e-notes, um, some evolts uh, uh, when they validate those those rules are different. So the industry is standardizing those, right? Making sure that all all ROM um, ROM platforms meet the standards because that's what title underwriters and insurer and title uh, title insurers um, rely upon to ensure that the the functionality is working properly. So I think those are a couple of the things 
that are working. And and another thing is is knowing how many loans or if how e your loan can be, I would say, and and getting that information in a single repository, which Mismo's helped with in the e eligibility exchange, is a is a huge benefactor. We need that information readily available to everybody so they can make that decision. Uh, at the beginning of at the loan application and see it throughout the life cycle. I think the other pieces underway, um, along with what Jonathan, you've said, and uh, Brian will add, is there is a lot of forums looking at while keeping the regulatory and compliance aspect on top of the mind, how do we look at every piece of document the borrower may be signing again at closing? And what parts of that closing package, which is 60, 70 documents, can either be moved up in the process or was it already there in that process? And what can be moved away from that while ensuring that the consummation of the loan, the note, your APR documents, your deed of trust, your right to cancel, CD, and anything that really will allow for that closing to be completed. Um, how do we look at that? Do we need to look at closing overall itself? So that's that's something we, uh, you know, a lot of volunteers are looking at, say, to make the process better for the folks that will end up using all the technology. Uh, but the key part is, which is really good and what Jonathan, you may have alluded to, is all of this while trying not to touch what works in the industry really well, uh, which is your right to cancel, your rescission notice, all the regulatory pieces that are already in place. How do we take that, digitize the process, and still give every stakeholder the best experience and the best loan? Well, in other areas, Rob, that I think that, you know, are uh, underway that are very important, right? Just from a regulatory and legislative perspective, you know, looking at the the SECURE Act, looking at individual states that have been passing, you know, electronic notarization and remote online notarization laws that will enable organizations to offer those type of services within within their state. You know, right now we're sitting at 41, 42 uh, states that have um, run legislation that has passed. Two of them are still waiting to go into effect. If we can get the SECURE Act passed for a federal uh, legislation, that will open it up to you know all of the states and really allow you know national lenders to be able to implement you know process that they don't need to manage whether or not it's legal in their state or not. And so it will open up uh, uh, some additional operational efficiencies and remove some of those exceptions that they have to put into their process today uh, related to whether they can do a, a RON or a, an electronic notarization uh, within within that particular state. Other areas is is really training and education. You know, items like this, this podcast here, um, getting out there, being uh, an advocate and, and showing um, organizations, you know, the benefits, the cost to implement, the ROI on it and, you know, the efficiencies they're going to be gaining after that once they reach kind of their nirvana of being able to do, you know, digital closings and the majority of of their uh, of their production volume. And so those are kind of some of the big ticket items, I think, that that are underway that are really going to be able to knock down some of these hurdles. Right. And so, you know, as far as some of the things that Jay was talking about and, and related to the education, being able to 
understand what you can do within the digital transaction and digital closing related to to paper. You know, one of the items that I've always kind of talked about is, you know, documents exist within majority of the documents exist within a loan package so that the stakeholder can prove that they did something. They proved that they provided information to the consumer. They proved so that when a regulator or an investor down uh, down the line needs to answer those questions, they can go back to that piece of paper and prove that this action, prove that this information was delivered and the consumer received it. You know, that process was put into place in the age of paper when it really, the digital transaction did not exist. There are some promulgated forms that you know are defined by investors that are defined by regulators that must exist but you know a good portion of the documents that we, we see in a closing package today aren't necessarily promulgated they don't have to be a piece of paper they don't have to be a document there's other ways that organizations can track what information is delivered to a consumer when the consumer received it they can capture all of the, the metadata around it of where they were the date and time that the consumer received this information and, and leverage that in order to be able to meet that burden of proof of delivery. Um, so those are, you know, if we can kind of get beyond that, that stigma and that legacy of it has to exist on a piece of paper, you know, I think that will really open up um, the opportunity to, to move this a lot further. Let me close by asking, why is the adoption of new technologies imperative for the future? You know, the, the mortgage industry has been very kind of behind the times. Um, and, and, you know, there's there's valid reasons for that. The regulatory environment, uh, the fact that it is, you know, different in all 50 states, you know, that they've got to adhere to, you know, legislative and regulatory standards um, in every different footprint, foot, footprint that they operate in. So being able to, you know, take advantage of additional technologies can allow them to you know, have better controls um, over their operations and really start to look at some efficiencies, you know, with down volumes and, and uh, margin compression and, and the cost to originate skyrocketing, you know, being able to, you know, find new ways of of implementing those efficiencies and seeing some of those gains is imperative for, for the survival of the industry and survival for, you know, for lenders and other stakeholders. And finally, I think you know, it's just consumer demand. Um, consumers are going to be demanding um, kind of new methods of interacting with all of their you know, financial providers and financial partners. And you know, we in, as, as an industry need to be able to move in that direction and, and stay, uh, stay in lockstep with what our consumers are going to be demanding in the future. I think following up on what Brian, you're saying is Adoption leads to growth. And if it's true in any industry, it's going to be our industry simply because there is this old saying, you know, one process, you only know one. Over time, as where I started with, in our attempt to digitize, folks may have created so many homegrown solutions. Adoption surfaces those and better adoption surfacing the need for those homegrown solutions allows better product. So unless you don't adopt, you're not going to see the growth. 
And uh, I think there is just so many people, as Jonathan mentioned, volunteers that are willing to do the education, provide the knowledge, help people, handhold people to move forward with this process. But it will take the adoption to allow for the full growth that we as an industry need. And we owe it to the future borrower. Both of you hit on great points. The other thing I'd add is the mortgage industry is very cyclical. We see it, right? We've had the two best years. Now, all of a sudden, we're having the worst year in 20 years. But all we do is throw bodies at it. Um, we, we hire and we fire. And the way to stop that is to not only adopt the technologies that are out there, like we don't have to go build. I think the technology, there's plenty of technology out there in the mortgage industry. It's building them into our processes and then changing our processes to where the digital portion using the technology is the normal and not the exception. And then we gain real efficiencies and can scale at ease and detract at ease because it's going to happen, right? We don't get to control that uh, aspect of it. So by adopting these technologies, it's imperative for your stability of your company to implement these new technologies and build processes around the technology. Every software that you buy, right, requires you to change your process. When you bought your first LOS, you changed your process. If you don't change your process when you buy new technologies, you're not gaining the efficiencies that that process, that that technology provides you. Jay, Jonathan, Brian, thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank absolutely, you. Rob. Thank you for having us. Today sees another light calendar that began with mortgage applications from MBA. Applications decreased 1.9% from one week earlier, though last week's results include an adjustment for the observance of the Thanksgiving holiday. Later today brings Q3 productivity and unit labor costs and October consumer credit. Without much to stimulate action, we begin the day with agency MBS prices worse than eighth and the 10-year yielding 3.54 after closing yesterday at 3.51%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. With about four weeks until the college football playoff and eight weeks until the Super Bowl, let's have part three of five of some clever football quotes. Woody Hayes of Ohio State said, there's nothing that cleanses your soul like getting the hell kicked out of you. Sounds like he could use some therapy, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Bob Devaney at Nebraska said, I don't expect to win enough games to be put on NCAA probation. I just want to win enough to warrant an investigation. <laughs> And Wally Butts of Georgia said, in Alabama, an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in Bear Bryant. We can probably update that to Nick Saban these days, huh? I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus, an Encino company and award-winning developer of mobile-first technology for the modern mortgage lender. To learn more, visit simplenexus.com. About the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.